This is George St. Pierre. Not really, but you are listening to Top Turtle MMA podcast on flowcombat.com. And they are brought to you by a tremendous MMA clothing fightwear company. If the aliens ever land on Earth, they would wear ADK Fightwear. Go to adkfightwear.com. Meet them at the top. ADK Fightwear makes wonderful clothes. Okay, it looks great and it's not that expensive. They have geese, they have no gee, and it all looks slick as hell. Go to adkfightwear.com, enter in promo code TURTLE, all one word, not case sensitive. Get 20% off. ADK brings you this episode of Top Turtle with Art Davy and Sam Alvey, and it starts right now. ADK Fightwear, I am very impressed with your performance. <laughs> This is David Tremonti on FlowCombat.com with Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and I have the pleasure of speaking to the creator of the UFC and recent Hall of Fame inductee, announced Hall of Fame inductee for this July, Art Davey. Art, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us tonight. Congratulations on being named to the UFC Hall of Fame. Take us through it. Where were you when you got word? Who told you? And what were the emotions like? Well, Dave, let me first say it's a pleasure to be on Flow Combat with you tonight. Always a pleasure. And um, I've been really excited uh, when I got the word. It was was kind of a surprise. I get a call from from my good buddy and partner in crime, Sean Wheelock. And uh, I talk to Sean a couple of times a week. And he says, Art, I've got somebody on the phone who wants to talk to you. Now, I figured, Dave, that it was maybe a fighter that he had run into, uh, maybe doing a victory show or uh, Invicta. But uh, he puts uh, Ant Evans on the phone from the UFC. And uh, I've known Ant for a number of years. And Ant uh, tells me, Art, I've got some very, very good news. (laughs) And then he proceeds to tell me that I am being inducted on July 5th into the contributor's wing of the UFC Hall of Fame. Well, you could have knocked me over with a feather because I wasn't anticipating it, and I really didn't expect it was going to be Ant Evans on the phone. So I was stunned. And I can tell you that Ant was very excited about it, and so was Sean. And it took me a couple of minutes, Dave, to kind of recuperate and absorb it. Um, You know, people said to me, you know, we think you should have been in at one time and so forth, but I got to tell you, it was time and it was the right time. And uh, 25 years, uh, the silver anniversary of the uh, inaugural first show of the UFC, a great honor. And I'm really grateful and pleased that the UFC management has extended this honor to me. It is to be the top of the food chain in the MMA world is to be inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. Couldn't agree more. And Art, you know, I think Listen, I've interviewed you now. I think this is our third or fourth interview. You've always been so centered about this whole thing. I feel like hardcore old school UFC fans were almost mad on your behalf, whereas you were kind of, you know, I mean, I think reserved in the waiting game, so to speak. It only makes sense for you to go in and maybe you already, you know, kind of mentioned it and gave a hint of it, but do you think they waited for a, you know, ceremonial type year like 25? It, does it all kind of make sense now to you, or, or what do you think on the timing of it? 
Well, you know, it does make sense to me. You know, you have to give the UFC management credit for the evolution of the sport, the evolution of the brand. And I think uh, time had to pass for them to be able to uh, reach back into the past and to start to shine a light on some of the early pioneers. Uh, and I think that uh, the, the timing, therefore, in my mind, was right. Um, you know, to, be, to come in in the 23rd year or the 24th year, in my opinion, isn't as significant as to be inducted in the 25th year. Right. I, was, I was saying to a friend of mine, Dave, that I won't be around for the 50 year anniversary. <laughs> but, well, you, hey, but you never know. <laughs> well, you never know. But in all fairness, to be inducted this year is a great honor. And it just came, I think, at the right time and for all the right reasons. Yeah, absolutely. So going into the contributor wing, uh, and obviously makes sense, you know, this was the UFC is in no uncertain terms, your brainchild. And I say this every time we have you on, I encourage any fan, a new fan, especially if you want to know the history, get the book. Is this legal? It is a top five must read for any UFC fan. You co-authored it with your friend, Sean Wheelock. Uh, and that'll obviously take you through the ins and outs of that first UFC event. But I did want to ask you, you know, Meyerowitz is in, uh, Joe Silva, you know, famous UFC matchmaker through uh, both the Zufa era. And I think he came on during the Seg era as well. But who, who else would you say from those early years would you look to put into that contributor wing? Anyone else? Uh, uh, Campbell obviously would maybe come to mind. Well, you know, in my mind, I think you have to take uh, you have to take a couple of things into consideration. Um, certainly, uh, I'm very grateful for what Zufa has done. Uh, Lorenzo Fertitta, Frank Fertitta, and Dana White. Uh, I've said in interviews that they took a wounded franchise and turned it around. They brought it into the mainstream, and quite frankly, if they had not saved the UFC. I wouldn't be standing on that stage in the Pearl Theater at the Palms Hotel and Casino on July 5th. So I give a lot of credit to the guys from Zufa. They had the brains, they had the capital, and they had the management experience, and they did a great job. The other guy that I think is uh, very deserving of being in the Hall of Fame, quite frankly, is, um, uh, is uh, uh, the, uh, uh, Mark Radner, quite frankly. Mark Ratner was one of the most respected uh, uh, executives in the uh, state-sanctioning body universe in the United States. And in 2006, Zufa brought him on board as the vice president of government relations. And what a brilliant move that was and what a great contribution Ratner has made. Because during that time, you see the UFC finally sanctioned in states like uh, California, New York, uh, California 2005, New York 2016. Uh, all the provinces in Canada, and that's due in large measure to the, the kind of um, grunt work and uh, uh, hard labor on the part of Mark Ratner. Ratner deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, to say the least. Uh, but there are a number of people that I could uh, uh, mention, with honorable mention, easily. Mark Lucas, our director. Lucas was the guy who created the, the style and the look of the UFC using lighting, cameras, and graphics, he created the template that is still being used today. Uh, the other guy I think has to be recognized is um, the production designer for the first 27 UFCs and the guy who created and designed the octagon, and that's my good friend Jason Cusson. Mm. Jason uh, did a great job 
and uh, continues to be a friend. I had dinner with him on Sunday night, him and his wife here in Las Vegas. I could also mention Michael Abramson. Michael Abramson was the guy, uh, the sales manager at Semaphore Entertainment, SCG. It was his job, Dave, to get this thing sold to the cable companies in competition with pro wrestling and boxing events. And he did a great job. Michael is also the guy who came up with the name, and I mentioned it in my book, Is This Legal? He's the guy who came up with the name, the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Wow. Yeah, that, that would be a good one as well. All phenomenal names. I was very interested to get your take on that. And last but not least would be Campbell McLaren. Campbell, one of his biggest contributions, maybe the biggest, was he was the guy that recruited the on-air talent. We're talking about bringing in guys like Football Hall of Famer Jim Brown, the great Bruce Beck, Hall of Famer Jeff Blatnick, and certainly last but not least, and he's still with the UFC, Joe Rogan. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I wanted to get your take on something because whenever we have you on, I always like going down memory lane. So one of the things with the early UFCs, I, I was just thinking of this the other day and I said, I have to ask Art this. The marketing for the early UFCs was obviously centered around, quote unquote, there are no rules, right? And it was obviously a success. You know, the, the first pay-per-view did about three times the amount of buys that you were expecting, 80,000. Uh, and you build it really as something almost barbaric. Now, knowing what I know about you, uh, what I've read in your book, you know, you growing up an amateur boxer in the book, you tell a great story. I think it was on the beach, right? Where you and a, a friend yes. said, Hey, I want you to fight, uh, my wrestler friend. Right. And that kind of yes. planted the seed for what became of the UFC. And I always got the sense for you, it was always about the sport, but you're a marketing guy and you knew your bread, where your bread could be buttered. So you marketed it as no rules and barbaric, but that obviously got you in a little bit of trouble. It got the heat. It got the, the government eye watching you, Senator John McCann, the whole bit. Hindsight 2020, do you ever say to yourself, I wish we didn't market it as barbaric? Do you ever say to yourself, I wish we went more of a sport angle? And even if that we sacrificed a couple of those early buy rates, do you ever think about that, Art? Well, you know, that was a, that's an interesting question. And uh, the full answer involves the relationship between Semaphore Entertainment Group and WOW Promotions, the company that I founded with Hori and Gracie. We were the joint owners of the UFC. Uh, WOW created it, and we went into partnership with Semaphore Entertainment. It was WOW's job to create the physical event, to recruit the fighters, to establish the rules, um, to establish the, uh, the, the tournament format. Uh, Semaphore's responsibility was twofold. They had to provide production, and that's where Mark Lucas uh, and our line producer, Michael Pilak, came in. And then they had to provide the marketing. Their, their primary responsibility was marketing, and ultimately Michael Abramson was going to have to be involved in selling that to the cable companies. So I mentioned in the book that I had some apprehensions about the fact that they were pushing harder than I was about emphasizing there, no, there, there are no rules. Right. Uh, but I had, done a, I had done a good job of selling them on the idea. I said doing a no-holds-barred eight-man tournament is absolutely unique, and I had taken the old and the true and made something new out of it. And by doing that, I had created something that, uh, in all fairness, Semaphore signed on board, and they understood that there was a, a danger. It was a double-edged, it was a two-edged sword, that the idea of pushing the, uh, the no-holds-barred, there are no rules, 
uh, could backfire. Uh, at one point, Campbell, in doing an interview, mentioned uh, my fighter contract, which I had written, in which there's a phrase in there that uh, the fighters were absolving the UFC responsibility, God forbid, if someone had been seriously injured or killed. Mm-hmm. And Campbell, in making that, that uh, uh, quote in that interview with the New York Times, kind of uh, established a pattern that from that point on, both the local politicians in venues, cities that we went to, and then the media, the New York Times uh, began to call it the most barbaric show in history. It wasn't long after that that you had people like Senator McCain from Arizona comparing it to human cockfighting. So it, w- it was a two-edged sword. Uh, you could look back on it now with hindsight and say that if we had soft-pedaled that a bit, we might have sacrificed some of the buy rate. But, uh, you know, sometimes these things have their own uh, re- you know, reason for being and their own uh, uh, pace and style. And quite frankly, once we had launched on that path, quite frankly, the media didn't want to let us off that path. They would run a video of uh, Pat Smith at UFC 2, um, you know, knocking out uh, Scott Morris and hitting him with elbows on the ground. And, uh, you know, that would, that would kind of set the tone for what reporters were, uh, their take on the event. Uh, and then they would, then poor Bob Marowitz would be interviewed and, and, you know, cause he wasn't that comfortable with, uh, uh, with the martial arts and what we were doing. It was new to him. And he was then under the gun to have to explain it. And, um, I, I often felt in a way that it put Bob in an unfair situation because, uh, him as a hall of famer had to be, uh, the guy to tell them, you know, what it was and what it wasn't. And it was hard. It was, it put a lot of pressure on him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I always just kind of thought about that. And I know you're not a guy, and obviously there's a lot of context that goes into it, and you're not a guy that looks back and questions things, but I just, I had to ask you that because it, it just ran through my mind randomly. You know, what would the, if the marketing had been different, would maybe the trouble not have been as quick to come to you? The heat, as they say, from the government. Just something interesting to think about. Um, You know, speaking of early UFC, uh, and you know, the fighters, it's interesting. Your friend, Sean Wheelock has been announced to, uh, commentate an event coming up in June that I'm very interested in. It's uh bare knuckle boxing. And obviously in the first UFCs, there were no gloves. And I, as someone who I'm a grappling fan, I like not having gloves. I like watching that sort of, um, fight take place. And this is something Joe Rogan brings up a lot on his podcast, and I wanted to get your take on this, the gloves in MMA. What's your take on the gloves in MMA? Would you like to see it go back to no gloves? Because obviously they had to put the gloves because they were used to it because of boxing. People thought it was barbaric to be bare knuckle, but there might actually be uh, some scientific merit to say that you know, bare knuckle might actually be safer because you can't punch someone repeated times lest you break your own knuckle. Where do you stand on gloves in MMA right now? Well, you know, we didn't see gloves until I believe UFC 6 when Tank Abbott showed up with them. And we didn't mandate them, I believe, until either the UF 13 or 14. Uh, we knew, I knew from my uh, interaction with the people in the boxing world, that the glove did not protect the head. It was there to protect the hand. Um, And that uh, uh, Ken Shamrock made one of the best statements about the issue of bare knuckle that I ever heard. And he he said, you know, punching someone in the head with a bare fist is like hitting a bowling ball. (laughs) And um, that was really the issue. And yet when we would try to explain that to the press, 
that, in, that it was actually uh, less traumatic to fight bare knuckle. The press took that and turned it around and used it as an example of how we were, uh, you know, maybe even sleazy promoters and were willing to push this thing to the limit and explaining to them that boxing people were, were adamant about this, that the glove protected the hand and not the head. In fact, when you have a glove and it gets, uh, you have the, the fist completely wrapped, you have the glove on, the glove is, picks up sweat and water, it becomes a padded club. Right. So uh, the, the potential to create a CTE in a fighter is much greater, quite frankly, with a glove. And those of us in the business who were close to it understood that. But the media never wanted and probably still doesn't want to take that fact and deal with it because it, it, it's counterintuitive in their mind. To them, it's barbaric and brutal to be barefisted. Right. Do, do, you ever, do, do you ever think, let's say, next 20 years that that could be rectified and maybe a commission would sanction no gloves MMA? Or do you just think that's a, it just would never happen? Well, you know, uh, Dave Feldman has got a, a pay-per-view schedule here for early June up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and I know he's got approval from that state, and I think he's close to getting approval from several other states, uh, including Kansas. So it's possible that with uh, bringing back the London prize rules and having basically a bare knuckle, that that may have uh, an effect on uh, commissions down, far down the road. But you've got to remember that once a commission has uh, sanctioned a particular a set of techniques, rules, and, and, uh, and parameters, it's going to be difficult. You're dealing with a, with a bureaucracy. You're dealing with something that's connected politically to a state's uh, politics, and it's not going to be easy. Uh, what, what Feldman is doing may have an effect over the long haul. We'll have to see. Yeah. All right. So I only have a couple more minutes with you. I wanted to just, you know, I always like picking your brain on current affairs going on in and around UFC mixed martial arts. So I want to just pick your brain on a few things. UFC recently announced they signed a deal with ESPN streaming service, ESPN plus 150 million a year for, I believe it's 10 to 15 events, and that's just part of the TV rights deal. There's still more to come. Maybe they sign with a Fox or NBC Sports. How does this change the complexion of the sport in your mind? And did you ever imagine in those early days that a TV rights package, I mean, just half of it is going for $150 million a year? This is crazy, is it not? Well, I think you saw the, uh, the, the success that Zufa had in the second year being with, uh, with Spike and Viacom, uh, and you saw the, uh, the fact that a cable network was looking at the UFC now as a viable big-time big sport, and that was always planned. That was always part of our original goal and, and, uh, and our vision. Uh, the deal we signed with Semaphore was a five-year deal. It was a franchise, and we knew that it would grow year by year. Certainly when Zufa was able to negotiate the deal with Fox and move it on the broadcast, was and it was an even greater accomplishment because it moved it deeper into the mainstream. So I'm not shocked today that that rights fees uh, from television are probably the, the second biggest revenue stream uh, for the UFC, with the first one being pay-per-view. What the implications are of this uh, new arrangement with ESPN, I think, are still uh, will have to be uh, studied and viewed, and see how the fans react to it. Um, I'm, I'm sure it has some implication for. Uh, fans who have subscribed to the Fight Pass program through the UFC. But uh, I, I think it's exciting that the sport continues to move into the mainstream and do well. It was always planned that it was uh, the way to monetize the martial arts. That was my original vision. 
It, back in the day, if you were any good at the martial arts, Dave, you left the martial arts. You went into TV or the movies. That's what Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris did. That's what John claude Van Damme did. That's what Steven Seagal did. There was no money in the martial arts. And on the local level, you were making a living teaching the martial arts, but you weren't about to challenge some guy across town who had a different style to see whose style was superior. Because if you lost in a public bout, it would cost you students. The only way to monetize the martial arts and to bring it into the mainstream was the idea for the UFC. And the success of it over the last 25 years is proof that that original vision was viable. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at the rest of the landscape, what do you make of some of the other promotions? Your take, you know, again, I don't need like the the in-depth, so to speak, but just, you know, high-level Bellator, Combates, uh, you have Risen sort of doing what Pride tried to do for the Japan marketplace. What do you make of MMA overall right now as far as the strength of other promotions? Well, you know, you know who's got a great take on that, and I've been discussing it with him recently, is Sean Wheelock. Sean says, when you think about it, there's really two levels of MMA. There's the international level, and that's predominantly uh, dominated by the UFC. Hmm. Um, everything else, in a sense, is a local promotion. Even 1FC in China, in a sense, is a local promotion. Um, you could say that... Um, uh, that uh, uh, M1 is not because they're willing to leave Russia and do now a show in China. But by and large, you've got these two levels and nothing much in the middle, quite frankly. Uh, up at the top of the, of the food chain would be Bellator and, of course, the UFC. But Bellator's numbers indicate that they are still struggling to create profitability for Viacom. And um, I think that we're going to see continued growth of the, the sport and the UFC over the next 10 to 20 years. Uh, in my opinion, it can only get bigger. When you think about the fact that other than soccer, what the rest of the world calls football, MMA is truly the international sport that appeals to young people on this planet. Uh, it, it, it's the, in the words of my good friend and Hall of Famer, Don Fry, it's the purest sport there is. Hmm. So you can imagine with the kind of enthusiasm there might be in England for soccer, for football, imagine if you had an event that truly becomes super international You've got something with nationalistic support for. Uh, you've got fan support all over the planet. There are MMA fighters, amateur and pro, in places like Norway and, and, and Afghanistan and the Middle East. Yeah. Uh, in my mind, this can only get bigger. But we, we, we still see an awful lot of people on, 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 the, on the local end of the business, whether it's uh, Indianapolis or whether it's Florida. Uh, and you see a kind of a gap in the middle. I think Sean Wheelock is right about that. And I think that the growth of the international businesses are going to be, are going to be something to watch. I think the UFC will continue to expand in places like India and China. And ultimately, attracting fighters and fans in that part of the world is huge. Because now you're looking at something with a, with a, with a base that's up in the billions. Yeah, that's absolutely right. China, India, and then even what they just announced with uh, they're going to do the first event in Russia this September. And, you know, obviously Russia, population 150 million citizens. I mean, and a lot of them fighters. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a big step. <laughs> um, you've, you've got you've got 350 million people in the Arab world. And I'm, I'm, I've become increasingly aware that there's a tremendous uh, youth support for MMA in places like Jordan and the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So I think we're going to see MMA continue to grow internationally. And the leader in that fight, of course, is the primary brand, is the, uh, is the Coca-Cola of MMA, and that's, of course, the UFC. 
Absolutely. Uh, all right. Last question for me. I just wanted to get your take on this. Last weekend, UFC 224. I'm not sure if you saw it. Maybe you followed it, heard about it. Raquel Pennington was in a championship fight with Amanda Nunes. Uh, in between the fourth and fifth round, she said to her corner, I'm done. Her corner said, you know, no, keep going. They they obviously knew their fighter well. Um did you follow that storyline at all? A lot of people reacted negatively to it, and I just had to pick your brain on this, Art, because from someone who's seen you know, MMA as we know it, the UFC from UFC 1, and all like kind of the wild, wild west fights from back in the day, what, what did you make of that situation with a corner just you know, kind of pushing their fighter to fight through it to the fifth round? Well, you know, we saw that back in, uh, back in the day uh, in the early UFC, and there was a, a general feeling. I remember Big John McCarthy and I would discuss it. The idea that in many cases, the corner wasn't the best judge of what was right for the fighter. Uh, in their desire to see the fighter win, they would push the, the fighter beyond a point where the fighter should have gone. But that's what, you know, that's what was the big change in the UFC started after UFC 3. And you know who made that change was the fighters. They began to cross-train. I remember the Kimo Leopoldo showed up at the Gracie Academy after UFC 3 wanting to be trained in jiu-jitsu. So the, early on, there was a, a movement to, from the fighters to change the sport. They began to cross-train. Things had to change, and they did. The UFC had to move from being a spectacle to becoming a sport. The guy who was a big leader in that fight was Big John McCarthy. He saw it that it had to evolve before most of us, including me, did. John was really a leader in that. My fans mostly know him as a ref, but back in the day, Big John was the UFC's conscious. He was the only one who could tell me to shut up, by the way. <laughs> and from 94 through 1997 as UFC commissioner, I drafted the UFC rulebook, but it was John McCarthy who wrote most of the rules. Fascinating. Um, well, Art, we always like catching up with you. Uh, we're so happy you took some time out to talk to us just about the induction. We would love to have you back on after the induction, which takes place on July 5th of this year at the UFC Fan Expo. Uh, again, the book is, Is This Legal? It is one of the must-haves for any MMA fan or historian, co-authored by Sean Wheelock. You can find Art on Facebook. He is an active Facebook user, Art Davey. Just search for the name. And Art, once again, thank you so much for the time, and let's catch up down the road. Dave, it's been a pleasure, and it's always, uh, it's always a, a, an exciting thing for me to be on Flow Combat. Love to do the one after the Hall of Fame induction, give you my impressions of uh, seeing a lot of my old fans and friends there. And uh, I look forward to our next, uh, our next visit, my friend. All right, that, of course, was Art Davey. Feels like the uncle of all of MMA. Uncle Art Davey is the man. I love having him on the show. And that interview was, of course, brought to you by Garage Fit. Hey, do you live that corporate go-go lifestyle like so many of us hardworking Americans? Maybe you don't have enough time to get to the gym. Enter garagegym.net. This company has you covered when you can't get to the gym. They got kettlebells. They got battle ropes. They got gymnastic rings. They even have barbell pads to line your garage. They have you covered for all your home workout needs. Go to garagegym.net. Check them out. Tell them Top Turtle sent you. You're going to like the way we work out. I guarantee it. 
Yeah, so with our Davey, man, I'm so excited that he got into the Hall of Fame. There would be no UFC without our Davey. Let's never forget that. I don't care what happened with Senator John McCain and human cockfighting and all the things that went wrong in the late 90s. But make no mistake, there would be no UFC. And who even knows what MMA would be in this country if it wasn't for Art Davey with his idea of War of the Worlds. As I said in the interview, I can't recommend enough. You get his book, Is This Legal? It's one of the top five must-have books for any MMA fan. Now, we have some business to discuss. There is some exciting news at the Top Turtle Podcast Studio. We have a YouTube channel now. Yes, that's right, a YouTube channel. Head on over to YouTube, subscribe to our Top Turtle channel, and we have a new segment we're debuting called Uncaged. We've spoken with so many fighters over the past two years of doing this show, and one of our favorite parts of our fighter interviews is when they talk to us about life outside the cage. So, on our YouTube channel, we'll be putting our combat countdowns there, we'll be putting our big interviews there, but more than anything, we're going to be putting our new segment called Uncaged, talking to fighters about their life outside of fighting, and this week we have a banger of an episode to kick things off. It's Sam Alvey talking about his guilty pleasure movies in life. So, I will play that interview for you right now, but do me a favor, head on over to our YouTube channel, support the show, subscribe to our YouTube channel, it's youtube.com, search for Top Turtle, you'll find it, I think you guys are brainiacs and can handle it, Top Turtle on YouTube, subscribe to that, and here's what we're going to do for our subscribers, we're going to have a little contest, subscribe to our channel, screenshot screenshot you subscribing to the channel and hit us up on twitter at top turtle mma showing us you subscribed and enter a chance to win a signed copy of a stipe miocic photo signed by the man himself winning his title it's a badass photo a badass giveaway we're doing so if you show us and prove that you subscribe to the channel you can enter a chance to win a stipe miocic signed autograph photo pretty cool if you ask me we've done these giveaways before we always appreciate your support and it's our little way of giving back so without further ado i present a new segment on top turtle podcast it's sam alvey uncaged and i'll play that for you right now but don't forget to go to youtube and check it out there as well sam alvey hit it today we're going to officially launch our newest segment the segment is called uncaged and in it we take the fighter out of the fight and we take him outside the cage today we're looking at life outside the cage and we are talking to smiling sam alvey so sam seeing as you have a wife and kids you've probably been forced to watch some movies you didn't want to see and because you're a human being you've probably accidentally liked some of those movies so sam we want to know today what are your top three guilty pleasure movies what do you got for number one all right well I like musicals for some reason. I, I don't know why. I just I love musicals. And the Moulin Rouge, that is one of my favorite movies of all time. Ooh, Moulin. I, I don't know how it did in the theater, but I love it. So Moulin Rouge, so definitely a, a more of a critically acclaimed movie than most that would probably be on a guilty pleasure list. However, maybe not exactly what we're expecting for a uh, for a, a cage fighter. Probably wouldn't love Moulin Rouge. Uh, the old uh, 90s flick, Moulin Rouge at this point? I think it was like 
99 or 98. Yeah, and yeah. I, I watch it, I don't know, four or five times a year. Four or five times a year? That is a hell of a hell of a lot of time. All right, number two, what would you put it on? Oh, uh, number two. Um, oh, it's, 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 again, I love the musicals. I know it just came out, and it may not be, it's not fighterish. People like the movie, but I probably shouldn't. But uh, the, the new, um, The Greatest Showman. Uh-huh. It did well. <laughs> People but, liked it, but I know I'm not supposed to, being as I'm a guy and I'm a big badass fighter and all that. But I loved it. Well, you know what? Too, I listened to the soundtrack. I listened to the soundtrack two, three times a week. I watched it. I mean, I bought it the day it came out. I watched it. I, my my kids love it. My kids know the whole thing, and they're only four, three, and one. Well, if we're if we're talking about a badass movie though uh, that a fighter shouldn't like, and and you have to go into the musical genre. I would say one that's led by Wolverine is okay for a fighter. No? Uh, I hope so. I I hope I don't have to turn in any national IDs or man cards or anything. I love it. All right. So, number two was The Greatest Showman. uh, And then number three. All right. I've been bending your rules a little bit because I've been taking good movies that I just shouldn't like but do. So, I'm going to bend a little bit. The Fast and the Furious movies. I understand they're all terrible. Uh, the writing is bad, the acting is no good, and all that. But I have watched all of them many times. I don't know why I like those terrible movies, but I do. I like them a lot. All right, so The Fast and the Furious is pretty bad. Now, we could use The Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, The Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious, Fast Five, Fast Six, Furious 7, and The Fate and the Furious. So, which of uh, which of the actors in that is uh, your favorite? Because there's, there's a lot of classic ones in there. Which one is your best bad actor? Uh, you know, The Rock. I love The Rock. He, he, I don't care what his political leanings were. If he were to run, I would vote for him. Uh, <laughs> if he is in a movie, I will be there opening day. I saw Rampage opening day. I saw... Anything he's in, the Tooth Fairy is fantastic. Anything with The Rock, I'm going to be a fan of. Do you see the new Jumanji one? Oh, yeah. I thought it was great. It was so much better than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be terrible. I thought it was going to be kind of hokey and just cashing in on a big name. That movie was fantastic, almost better than the original. Yeah, I I, I went in with low expectations, but I I did like the the new Jumanji movie quite a bit. So, once again, recapping here for Mr. Smiling Sam Alvey, his three favorite Guilty Pleasure movies are Moulin Rouge, The Greatest Showman, and then any of the Fast and the Furious. Sam, thanks for the time, man. Hey, thank you so much for having me on, my friend. Alright, so there's our new segment on YouTube. Head on over to YouTube.com, subscribe to Top Turtle. We really appreciate it. And, of course, we're not going to let you leave without a UFC preview. So, Gumby, why don't you give us a preview of this weekend's UFC action, not on ESPN yet, but coming to an ESPN channel or digital subscription service near you. Hit us up with your picks for this week and get us out of here, Gumby. This UFC Fight Night preview in Liverpool is brought to you by Garage Fit. Look, we can't all get to jiu-jitsu and get a high-quality workout at our local gym at the same time. We've got lives. So, the beauty of this is that Garage Fit has got the hookup for you. If you go to garagegym.net right now, they've got all the stuff you need to set up a high-quality workout in your garage. Whether you need plyo boxes, heavy ropes, or weighted vests, no matter what it is you need for your high-quality workout, Garage Fit has got it. So, once again, head on over to Garage Gym. 
gym.net and pick up what you need for that high quality workout. So my three picks this weekend for UFC Fight Night in Liverpool are going to be uh, Darren Till. I really like him, even though... uh, Maybe he came into this fight originally as a huge underdog, and now he's a favorite. If you're out there betting, you might feel a little skeptical betting on him as a favorite at negative 120 on most sportsbooks. But I really like Darren Till here. I think the pressure gets to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Even though he's a counterpuncher, he tends to fall behind in the cards a little bit, or at least that's what we've seen as of late. So I'm going to go with Darren Till here at negative 120. My second favorite fight of the night is Jason Knight versus Makwan Amirakani. I'm going to go with the underdog here, Makwan Amirakani, at plus 135 to Jason Knight's negative 155. While I like Jason Knight as like a more well-rounded fighter, his boxing looks a little bit better than Amirakani. I think Amirakani is a little bit more creative on the ground, and I think that's where he gets this done tonight. And speaking of creative on the ground, I, the other fight I really like is Eric Spicely, who's got a sick ground game. Plus, I'm a sucker for a Northeastern local. Uh, he's at fighting Darren Stewart here. Spicely, the negative 185 favorite on most sports books versus Darren Stewart, the plus 160 underdog. Like I said, I like Spicely for his creativeness on the ground, whereas Darren Stewart has shown he's a talented puncher, but he tends to lack what he needs to make sure he fends off the submission. So once again, those three fights for you, Darren Till over Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Maquan Americani to score the upset over Jason Knight, and Eric Spicely to get it done against Darren Stewart. And that's going to do it this for this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. We'd like to thank our three sponsors, ADK Fightwear, Dead Frog Brewery, and Garage Fit. We'd also like to thank our uh, guests for today's show, Art Davey and Sam Alvey. Thanks for popping by. And remember that if you really, really enjoyed the Uncaged seg- segment with uh, Sam Alvey this week, there's going to be plenty more where that came from on our new YouTube channel. So make sure you head on over there and subscribe. Once again, this is Dave and Dan with M- Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. And we are out.